0: Matthew 28, verse 16 and 17. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this reading of your word. We thank you, O Lord, that you loved us so much, that you've gone to such... Uh, pains in order to give us your word that you have preserved it for us that in your your grace and in your lovingness you have seen to it that we each have a copy O father Uh, forgive us for taking that for granted we have brothers and sisters around the world who only have a page or two of your word yet we have complete Bibles and most of us have many copies of them in our homes well father we thank you and we ask O Lord that you would be pleased to teach us from your word this morning Lord with this prayer, we are confessing, O oh Father, that in and of ourselves, we are unable uh, to arrive uh, at the proper understanding of your word. We, we confess before you that our hearts are dull, that we are slow of heart to believe. We confess before you, O oh Lord, that sin has darkened our, our senses and has darkened every faculty of our, of our being. So we call on you, O oh Lord, for your grace that you would be pleased to teach us this morning. And we pray these things in Jesus' name amen and amen last week uh, my plans really were to finish our study in matthew's gospel and of course if we would have done that we'd have taken verses 16 through 20 as our text this morning but as i began to prayerfully meditate on these words and preparation uh, i could never get past verse 17 and i've learned really to to listen to those inklings Uh, i decided not to go any further and spent really most of the week really just bathing in these 11 words in verse 17. We're told in verse 17 that when they saw him, they worshipped him. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. They're tremendous, it's a tremendous little sentence right there. That seems so simple, but as we begin to study it, we're going to see that this simple little sentence is not without its difficulties. We're going to see that there are some difficulties in this little sentence. But what we have here is we have, we have seeing, when they saw Him. We have worshiping, when they saw Him, they worshipped. And we have doubting, all in the, all in the same sentence. So this morning what I would like to do really is just expound on this simple verse. It's a verse that's easy to miss. I I was surprised, I never really realized this, but I was surprised how many commentaries actually just kind of, really kind of scoot right over these verses. They'll say just a couple of sentences about 16, a couple of sentences about 17, and then a ton of ink is spilled on verses 18, 19, and 20. And of course a lot of ink does need to be spilled on verses uh, 18, 19, and 20, Uh, but before we get to verse 18, we do have verse 17, don't we? And we have verse 17 for a reason. And I, I would like to investigate the reason for that this morning. Why do we have verse 17? Why is it here? We're told that when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. I think that we have it in our heads, at least I think I've been guilty of this on many of occasions, that after the crucifixion, uh, really, all Jesus does is just kind of appears a couple of times, and then the ascension, then he goes up to, uh, to, to heaven, where he sits in session with uh, the Father, uh, that uh, basically in those uh, 40 days after his resurrection, he just kind of pops in and out a couple of times, and, and that's all there is to it. But as we begin to look through the activity of Jesus, through the lenses of verse 17... I think a whole new field opens up for us, uh, where we begin to see that Jesus actually was, was actually very active. Uh, he was doing a lot of things. He was working. Uh, what exactly was, was He doing? Well, in another verse that's easy to, to kind of pass over, a verse that comes from the pen of Luke in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, Luke tells us that Jesus presented Himself alive, after his suffering, by many proofs. By many proofs. Not one or two. It doesn't say by one singular proof or even by a couple of uh, proofs. But by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Okay, what, what do we glean from all of this? Well, we know that God knows the beginning from the end. He knows the present perfectly. He knows everything in between, doesn't He? Which is really a fascinating thought if you think about it. All time is before God at once. And if you can get your mind wrapped around that, come and see me. I haven't been able to get my mind around that. That all time is before Him at once. And God knows all who are His. He he knows each one of us so intimately. He knows exactly what we need to hear in order to be convinced of the gospel. And here he uh, also knows how dull of heart and slow of heart we are to believe. He knows all the arguments of the skeptics. And uh, he knows uh, that we need armed against the voices of the skeptics. So with the help of the Holy Spirit, let's, let's dig in this morning with, to this text As I've already said, our text speaks of seeing, worshiping, and doubting, right? Seeing, worshiping, and doubting. And obviously, uh, one of the key words here is seeing, but what does it mean to see? What exactly does this seeing mean? Well, if you look at verse 17, you'll see that when they saw him, they did what? They worshiped him. Okay, what do we learn from that? We learn from that that they saw divinity in Christ. We learn from that that they saw Jesus as more than simply a man who's been raised from the dead, but they saw him as as fully human and fully divine. Otherwise, it would have been idolatrous for them to have worshipped him, right? It would have been crass idolatry. And furthermore, on Jesus' part, if he is not fully divine, it would have been blasphemous for him to have received this worship. So we see the the act of seeing here isn't just seeing him. Many saw him, but some doubted. Some worshiped. So the idea of uh, of seeing here isn't just simply seeing a man before us, in front of us. The idea is seeing the God-man, seeing that Jesus is... Fully divine. Not only fully human, but fully divine. Now, there's, you know, there's a lot of uh, uh, scholars that have spilled a lot of ink trying to determine who is meant by the word some. And I don't think that's a waste of time. I told you there's some difficulty in our, in our verse. Look at the word some. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some, some doubted. Now, where a lot of the ink gets spilled is, it, it, where the ink gets spilled is this: Who are the some? In other words, who is it that is doubting here? Is it some of the 11? Are they the ones doubting? And as we're going to see in a little bit, we're going to look at all the, all the appearances of Christ this morning in the New Testament. And as, we, as we see, by the time they get out on the Mount of, of Galilee and they're seeing Jesus, Jesus has appeared quite a few times as we're going to see. So could it be that some of the 11 are doubting out here on, on the mountain in Galilee? Now, some interpreters are saying, well, no, it's not the 11 that are doubting. There were some others around the 11. There were other people present, and these other people were doubting. Uh, some commentators believe, and especially some of the older, uh, older interpreters, older uh, uh, pastors and preachers, who many of whom I really admire, uh, they believed that uh, this occurrence that we have in Matthew 20, 28, 16 through uh, 20 is the same occurrence that Paul speaks about, which was part of our scripture reading last week, scripture memory verse, where Paul says that Jesus appeared to more than 500 at one time. Now, Many interpreters believe that that took place on the mountain in Galilee. Now, whether it did or it didn't, I really don't know, I, I don't know how we can really be sure of that. As you study the text, you study all the relevant texts, none of them come right out and say that. It is possible that that was the occurrence, that that was the occasion uh, where Jesus appeared to more than 500 at one time. I think it's also possible that Jesus appeared really simply to the 11, I think that's also possible. It's also possible that Jesus appeared to the 11 and there were others around. I think that's probably the most possible. But as you can see from, from the way I'm talking about this, I don't think we can know. So it comes back to who are the some? Is is Matthew saying that some of the eleven doubted? Is he saying that those who doubted were some of the others who were around? We look at our verse and we see it's not that precise, is it? we see that we can't know I don't think we can some some scholars go into some grammatical arguments and they take apart the grammar and they they take this certain phrase and and they they look at all everywhere else where that phrase is used and they form uh, opinions based on all that and listen to me that's sound exegesis that's a sound way to study our Bibles but um, let's let's look at the plain things here I'll tell you what I've concluded from this. Being that Matthew is not very precise with this, this isn't the main point. The main point here is not whether or not some of the 11 doubted or not. I don't think we can be sure if if this doubting was taking place by some of the 11 or if it wasn't taking place by some of the 11. I don't think that's Matthew's purpose. I think what Matthew is simply trying to say is, listen, some people saw him, they worshiped. Others doubted. Perhaps some of even the 11 doubt it. What are we to glean from all of this? What are we to glean? Well, um, faith in the resurrection, in many cases, doesn't take place immediately, does it? I mean, I used to think that. I used to think that. As soon as Jesus appeared, everybody was like, boom, they're on board. You know, bang, with a flip of the switch. They're all tracking along. Uh, But we begin to study the activity of Jesus between the resurrection and his ascension in that 40-day period. We discover that, no, it wasn't necessarily instantaneous in every case. It was in some cases, but not in others. Let's let's look at a couple of these cases. Put your bulletin in Matthew uh, 28 and turn back to where we were earlier in our service, to John 20. It's page 906 if you're using the Bible that's on or near your seat. Just flip to John chapter 20. If we look at Mary Magdalene here, which this passage in in John 20 really focuses in on Mary Magdalene, who is actually the first one to see Jesus. Uh, We're told it's the first day of the week. She came to the tomb early while it was still dark. She saw the that the stone had been taken away, so she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, that is John, and said to them, "The Lord is risen." Right? No, that's not what she says, is it? When she saw the empty tomb, did she conclude that the Lord has risen? That was not her conclusion. What was her conclusion? Jesus is dead. The tomb is empty. Someone must have stolen the body. She runs and tells the disciples. Peter and John, they run to the tomb. John beats Peter there. John looks in, sees that it's empty. Peter goes inside the tomb. Then we're told in verse 8 that John follows Peter. The other disciple, that's the Apostle John, he follows Peter into the tomb. He saw and what? He believed. I don't know if Peter believed at that point or not. I'm not sure. I looked at this verse quite a bit. I don't know if we can conclude that. You know, the also there, did Peter also believe? Or is the also just meant that he was also in the tomb? I'm not sure, but what we can say for sure is it seems that the Apostle John's, in the case of the Apostle John, he believes right away. But look at verse 9, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. This week, know for sure, they still haven't put it all together. And that's my point, faith in the resurrection was not necessarily instantaneous. And if we look at Mary Magdalene, I mean, obviously she has initially concluded that someone has stolen the body. And uh, really, uh, you know, even down to uh, verses uh, 13, she's still concluding, uh, still concludes that someone has stolen the body. If we think of uh, Luke 20, or Luke 24, rather, chapter 24, you don't need to turn there, uh, at least not yet. We'll turn there in a few minutes, but... Um, some of you are pretty familiar with that passage with that chapter and we're told in that chapter that when the women come to the disciples and the women say to the disciples listen the tomb is is empty that the the, the, Jesus body is gone and they begin to tell the disciples these things the disciples initially thought it, it all sounded like an idle tale and initially they In other words, faith in the resurrection of Jesus was not exactly instantaneously. And if you're familiar with the disciples on the road to Emmaus, uh, we'll look at that here in a couple of minutes, but we we know that these two disciples on Sunday after the crucifixion of Jesus, on the day that Jesus is, is raised, these two disciples are making their way from Jerusalem out to Emmaus. And they're sad and they're downcast as they as they head out there. They're fully convinced that, this, that it's over. They had hoped that Jesus was the Messiah, but their hopes had been broken, hadn't they? If you're familiar with that text, you, you realize that. So faith in the resurrection was not necessarily instantaneous. Now, when Jesus appears, as He begins to appear, uh, I have a, a list here right before me in my notes of every appearance that takes place in the New Testament. I think I've got every one here. Uh, When Jesus appears to them, we see that in many cases, they don't immediately recognize him. They don't immediately recognize him. We're already in John chapter 20. Look at Mary in verse 11. Mary is standing outside the tomb. She's weeping. Then she looks into the tomb in verse 12, and what does she see? Two angels sitting where the body of Jesus was laying. Verse 13. They say to her, Why are you weeping? What's she say? They've taken away my Lord. They've They've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have laid him. Verse 14: Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She thinks that she's talking to the gardener. She said to him, Sir, if, you, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. And then in verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him immediately in Aramaic, "Rabbi," which means teacher. It's then that her eyes are open to the, to the reality that Jesus is alive, isn't it? It doesn't happen immediately. Now, uh, we studied the, the Jesus' appearance uh, to the women in Matthew 28, 9, and 10. We looked at that last week. You don't need to turn there, but uh, we, we learn in, in verses 8 that as the women are departing from the tomb, uh, they're, they're departing from the tomb with fear and great joy. Remember me develop, developing that last week, that idea of having fear and great joy at the same time? Uh, they're, they've heard from the angels that Jesus has risen, And here they are, they're they're headed back uh, to tell the disciples. And as they're headed back to tell the the, the disciples, verse 9, Jesus meets them and says greetings. And what happens? Uh, They came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. In this case, it's immediate. Jesus appears for them. They saw him and they worshiped. Again, the act of worshiping shows that they saw him as more than simply a man who's been raised from the dead, haven't they? They actually saw him. And having seen them this way, they worship him. They worship him. A third appearance, and you can turn here now with me if you want. Uh, We're kind of flipping around a little bit to Luke 24. I think it'll be really helpful to be looking at the text, especially if you're not familiar with this story. This story is a real important story to me. They're all important, but... Early on, as I was trying to figure out the gospel, this was one of the stories that I think I first began to try to make some sense out of. Luke 24, page 885, if you're using the Bible that's on or near your seats. And the story begins in verse 13. I think this is the third appearance that we have of Christ appearing after His resurrection. We're told that very day, this would be Sunday, this would be the first day of the week, that very day two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They're talking with each other about these things. Verse 15, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But look at verse 16, what's that say? But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. That's really peculiar, isn't it? I mean, I would think Jesus would want to just pop in on them and they see him and, you know, uh, this is really peculiar. Their eyes at this point are kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. The old King James translation was their, their faces were downcast. They were downcast, if you will. All sad, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, and said, Are "You the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know what's happened?" In other words, what is basically saying, "Whoa, where are you where? Where are you from? Where have you been?" And he said to them, "What things?" And they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified. But we had hoped that he was. We'd hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, besides all this, it's now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Now, notice, they've heard the reports that he's alive, but they're still sad and downcast, aren't they? They haven't embraced the idea yet. They're entertaining it in their hearts. Verse 24, some of those who were with us went to the tomb, found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And in verse 25, Jesus says, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe, all the prophets have spoken. Here's a, a mild rebuke by Jesus. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew near to the village to which they were going. They drew near to Emmaus, Jesus acts as if he's going to go another way. But they urge him, verse 29, strongly stay with us for it's, it's towards evening and the day is far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. In verse 31, their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. Here we see implications of the word of God for believing, don't we? We also see implications in verse uh, 30 uh, for uh, faith being obtained through the breaking of bread. When Jesus, when Jesus breaks the bread before them, what's that remind you of? Reminds you of the Lord's Supper, reminds you of communion, doesn't it? Uh, communion is a faith strengthening grace that we need to make uh, use of. Uh, so now their eyes are opened, uh, but it, for a period of time they're kept from recognizing Him. The next appearance we have is also in Luke 24-34. Uh, There's no details other than it says that Jesus appears to Simon. And then Jesus appears to uh, Thomas. or I'm sorry, to the disciples rather, not to Thomas. Thomas in the, first, in the first appearance to the disciples as they're all gathered together. Thomas is missing. Some of you are probably pr- pretty familiar with that passage. That's the passage where we get the, the phrase doubting Thomas from. Uh, Jesus appears to the disciples. Thomas is missing. Um, Jesus then he vanishes again. And uh, the disciples tell Thomas about the appearance. And Thomas says, he says these famous words, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. So eight days later we're told... Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and this time Thomas is with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Put, on your, uh, put your hand and place it on my side. And do not disbelieve, but believe. And then Thomas answers him in these famous words, which you have in your bulletin. Thomas answered him, My Lord... And my God. What's Thomas doing? He's seeing. And he's worshiping. My Lord and who? My God. You see, seeing isn't just simply seeing a man in front of you. Seeing is seeing Jesus fully divine. And that's what that's what Thomas is saying, isn't it? My Lord my God. Now, all of the appearances that I've mentioned up until now are appearances that take place in Jerusalem before the disciples go out to the mountain on Galilee. I think the next, the next appearance takes place uh, in John. You don't need to worry about turning there, but Jesus appears by the, lake of, by the Sea of Galilee. Uh, there are seven disciples there who are fishing, you know, and that's that scene where Jesus is on the shore and they don't immediately recognize him. And that could just simply be because they're too far away. Uh, but, of course, Peter recognizes him and he jumps into the, uh, jumps into the, uh, the sea and swims to the shore. And, of course, they, um, they, they have a time of uh, fellowship with Jesus. And that's then when Jesus kind of reinstates Peter, if you will. Uh, we have that whole story. And then the very next appearance is the appearance that we have in Matthew's Gospel, where the disciples are now gathered uh, on the mountain in Galilee. And it could also be the same occurrence that the Apostle Paul is speaking about in 1 Corinthians 15, 6, uh, where Jesus appears to more than 500 at one time. That also could have been another appearance we we really don't know. And then there's another appearance where Jesus appears to the disciples just before he's taken into heaven, just before his, his his ascension. And then the last appearance is Christ's appearance from heaven to the Apostle Paul on the Damascus Road. Now, Of course, that's taking place after the 40-day period, well after the 40-day period. So here we see from all of this, Jesus isn't just appearing once here and once there. He's a pe- There's a lot of activity going on here, isn't there? Of all of these appearances that I read to you, if we were going to take each one of these passages and we were going to study them, we would be here for a while, wouldn't we? There are 12 of them that I mentioned. We probably take 12 weeks doing that. It's a lot of activity. Okay, uh, what, is all this, what does all this activity teach us? Well, I think the main lesson, one of the main lessons that we get out of Matthew, verses 16 and 17, is this Jesus' disciples were not credulous, gullible, and naive. Uh, they embraced all these proofs, they weren't, they weren't just superstitious country bumpkins who said okay uh, there's Jesus and they were just willing to just willing to believe all out of the shoot no far from the truth and i say this and i say this because our, as a culture uh, we have a tendency to look on our forefathers as being not as smart as we are uh, our culture is very suspicious it looks down on uh, on the ancients if you will uh, and really I have to wonder, I mean, a lot of the ancients that we look down on actually were bilingual, and in many cases, trilingual. How many folks do you know are bilingual? How many do you know are trilingual? Speak three languages fluently. I think if the ancients were to come and join us in our culture, I think that they would, I think they would think that we're the simpletons, not them. I'll give you an exercise. This afternoon, search the internet for one of Jonathan Edwards' sermons. Yeah, some of you have done that. And as you're trying to make sense of the sermon, as you're trying to understand it, you need need to remember this. These were the sermons. When Jonathan Edwards, this is why why I mentioned him. When Jonathan Edwards preached, he was famous for preaching with his manuscript fully written out, and he would stand and read it to his congregation. So what you're reading is what he read to the Northampton farmers who were in his congregation. And they received those words with great spiritual profit. In other words, they understood him. They weren't simple country bumpkins is my whole point. I look at some of the reformers, the men like John Calvin, and I'm just absolutely amazed how these men were able to acquire the knowledge that they acquired. Not only did they know those scriptures frontwards, backwards in every which way. They knew church history like the back of their hands. They knew all the classics. They had wrestled with all of that stuff. They quoted fluently throughout their writings without the benefit of search engines. Now, we can Google things very quickly. They couldn't Google anything. They remembered that stuff. It's quite amazing the reformers, men like Richard Baxter, Richard Sibbs, Matthew Henry, Thomas Watson, all all those guys, they were conversing in Latin, they read Latin, they wrote in Latin, they were conversing in English, and they also knew Hebrew and Greek, four languages. Very amazing. When we look back at the disciples, my whole point here is when we look back at the disciples, we see that they were not a bunch of superstitious country bumpkins. No, Luke reminds us that Jesus presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them for 40 days. Why? Why? Because they were rational men and women. They were thinking men and women. And they were men and women who had doubts. They had doubts. Does that sound familiar to anybody? You said doubts. In some circles, it's, it'd be a terrible thing to mention the fact that you have doubts. You'd be perceived as like some kind of backslider or something. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not glorifying doubts. I'm not doing that. Now, doubts are a form of unbelief, and uh, it, unbelief is sin. But the fact of the matter is, every single one of us are like the disciples on the road to Emmaus. We are dull and slow of heart to believe, are we not? Sin has stained our minds, our perceptions, every faculty of our being. And we are often slow to get it. But here's the wonderful thing. Here's the wonderful thing about verses 16 and 17 in Matthew's Gospel. Jesus stoops down to meet us in those doubts. It comes to us like we come to our little children, like I was holding Kylie a little bit ago. We We have to stoop down to them and accommodate them in their weakness, do we not? She can't dress herself. She can't clothe herself. She can't feed herself. There's very little that she really can't do anything herself. Spiritually speaking, do you see yourself as a Kylie? God sees you that way. You know, as we look at our frailty, as we look at our weakness, as we look at our dullness, You know, that's a healthy thing to do only when we also take time to look at God's condescension towards us. We take time to look at how God meets us where we are, how he stoops down into the gutter with us, meeting us, helping us handle what? Our doubts. I really think that a person who has no doubts is a person who hasn't really analyzed their faith very much. It's a person who's never really asked the hard questions of their faith. If you have no doubts, you've probably not questioned your faith. You've, maybe it's just been handed down to you from your, by your parents, and you've just kind of, off you went. Never really questioning this, questioning that, questioning this, questioning that. And if that's described you this morning, you're in a really dangerous spot. Because a, a sharp skeptic could come along any time, and He could rattle your cage to the degree that He destroys your faith. It happens. When you have doubts, listen to them. Listen to them. And look at all of the activity of Jesus in this 40-day period. Why is Jesus so active after his resurrection? Why is he doing all these things? Because he realizes that he's working faith in a people who are slow of heart to believe. He's working faith in a people who have doubts. And he knows that we have to handle those doubts. We can't just forget about those doubts. You can't do that. We can't do that. We've got to work through those doubts. We've got to wrestle through those doubts prayerfully, looking at all of this activity. And be rest assured that God has provided us with everything we need in His Word, which is really amazing. He knew every doubt that we would ever have. So He has given us proof in His Word that will accommodate every doubt that we'll ever have. Why? Because He's a loving parent. He's a loving Father. And He stoops down and meets us just like we would stoop down to meet Kylie because that's what we are. We're completely helpless. Are we not? I leave you with this last thought. Um, Look at this great care that our Lord uses in meeting each one of us. Just look at it. This afternoon, look at it. Look at the great care that Jesus uses and takes the liberty to use. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great care that you've taken us, O oh Father. And the great care that you've taken in meeting us, O oh Lord, in our, in our doubts, meeting us in our frailty, meeting us in our weakness. In our text, O oh Father, we see seeing, we see worshiping, we see doubting. And, Father, in our own lives we can see this. In our own lives we can see seeing At times, O Father, we recognize we see so very clearly. It seems that we see so very clearly. Other times, O Father, we seem to be not seeing as clearly. O Father, we pray, Lord, you would work grace in our hearts. Help us to handle any doubts that we would have. That, O Father, that we would one day be found only seeing and worshiping. That those doubts would be taken away, O Father. And we know that that as we step through the doorway of this life into the next life, O Father, that that will be the case, that those doubts will be taken away from now and forevermore. So, Father, we, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.